Guillermo Clouds, you still look like you're wearing a muscle vest. It's not a muscle vest, right? But I'm not ready for an 80s themed episode, is all I'm saying. It doesn't matter, it's radio, you know. He got it free with his Dell. <laughs> it does actually say Dell on it, yeah. This is going to be one blistering high-energy take from Ralph Blanford. I did it last time. One take wonder. All right. This is episode nine. And this week we are... (laughs) Come on. Shall we do one where we don't sound like we really would rather be sleeping? Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blanford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 17, Episode 9, and this week we're talking about robot vacuum cleaners, Ewan's disappointing choices, and Ben's EV charger decision. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, hello. Happy New Year. Mm, indeed. HNY. It's the 21st of January as we record this, but uh, in the strictest traditions of 361 Podcast, we have had no communications for the first three weeks of, mm. of any year. In fact, we normally take at least six months sabbatical <laughs> while we think about the show. So uh, this is probably the quickest we've come back from Christmas in a long time. Indeed. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. So welcome. Rafe Blanford, you're looking invigorated and refreshed. Were you back down on the Blanford estate? Mm. I was indeed. I had a very lovely time. It was first extended break for a little while and went out and surveyed the estate, walked on the Ashdown Forest and various other places and just felt very lovely indeed. There's a certain rejuvenation and reinvigoration that can only be got from beating a few peasants, isn't there? <laughs> well, pheasants, but yes. <laughs> you're McLeod, you're still in Hampshire, UK? I am. I am. Hello. It's a delight to be back in the UK. It's an oddity to have several consecutive conversations with you, A, in the same place, and B, not far away. So. Well, it was lovely to physically meet you. Well, indeed. Actually, I bumped into Ben, or Ben bumped into me, or whatever. Yeah, he came over. I was driving, so yeah, yeah technically I stopped. Yes. <laughs> it was nice. It's nice to see you. I miss this. So what's the weather in Hampshire? I mean, I know because I can look out the window because I'm about seven miles away from you at the moment, but, you know, what's the weather in Hampshire? It's rather dark outside. Excellent. And I don't know what the temperature is. Yeah. Insightful. It's also dark in Hampshire at this time of year. I would recommend this podcast to someone who wasn't a technology uh, slash mobile person the other day, and uh, her quote was, I didn't expect to enjoy it, but it made me laugh. Was that the good kind of laughing or the bad kind of laughing? Let's pretend. I decided that that was a compliment and not to ask any questions that would ruin that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, good plan. Okay, so we're going to crack back on new format, getting lots of people writing in saying they're enjoying it. So thank you if you've um, taken the trouble to write in. Tim Edwards dropped me an email over the Christmas break. Thank you, Tim, for the kind words. Much appreciated. Thank you for becoming a Patreon subscriber as well, which makes me far more inclined to listen to anything you have to say. Mm. (laughs) So thank you, Tim. And uh, Tim's asked for us to do an episode in the future on privacy topics. He says, you know, kind of we talk about smart home and Mm. all those kinds of things quite a lot, and we do, but he'd like a privacy slant on that. So good thinking. We'll have Rafe Blanford do some research then we'll do that. Absolutely. If you've got any other requests or suggestions, privacy related stuff you'd like to hear, absolutely Mm. let us know. Let's crack on gentlemen, because Mm. we've decided to use this first session of the new year to have a quick talk about all the tech decisions and purchases made over Christmas period, but let's keep it interesting. I'm not really bothered about Christmas presents anymore. No. That's last month. 
Let's talk about the game-changing stuff. Yes. So, you McLeod, mm. let's talk domestic topics first. Okay. Robot vacuum cleaners. Ah, right. Yes, I am very, very, very excited to hear about your experience because, you know, I have had the experience of a robot lawnmower, which I very much enjoyed, apart from it not working. When you say not working, you mean you left it in the snow and it died? Yes, yes, apart from that. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it when it, it made my heart sing watching it, you know, at nine o'clock at night, going up and down and doing its little, you know, jobs. But you have got a Chinese vacuum cleaner, RoboVac. Is that right? I have got a RoboRock. I bought the RoboRock S5 Max, which sounds like a brand of Nike trainers from the 80s. But uh, no, it's a robot vacuum cleaner. And I bought it on Black Friday because I wanted one and I'd done some research and we can talk about that in a minute. But it is brilliant. It is absolutely fantastic. We've got hard floors throughout our house, so it was a constant struggle to try and keep dust and all that kind of stuff clear because it's more apparent than when you've got carpets or anything like that. Mm. But also, I'm just amazed, like, for years, I haven't had one of these things, so I feel like I'm sort of buying in when the products are mature Yes. now. So I haven't had to go through that early adopter phase of it not really working, and it just works brilliantly. You're referring to Roomba. I've always had my eye on a Roomba. Well, Rafe Blanford has a Roomba, don't you? I do, and actually it's my second Roomba, and I'm always amazed with how well it works and the amount of dust and craft it can pick up from what I would perceive to be a clean floor, and it's the same as you, it's kind of hard floors for a lot of the flat, and then there's a few carpets. I've kind of had the opposite problem in that I've now owned it more than two years, so I was giving my Roomba its 300-session service, if you like, because it's been going round the floors three times a week for more than two years. Mm. And so I have been replacing filters and various bits on a fairly regular basis, but I gave it a service where I was cleaning things up. I was putting new brushes on and replacing some of the kind of longer wearing parts. And I was pleasantly surprised how by doing that, I was then able to kind of see a noticeable difference in the way it was cleaning, particularly around skirting boards and things like that. So it's a good lesson in this smart home technology. It does pay to maintain it just like any other piece of equipment that you might buy and this is like removing all the bits that are wound around the rotors and all that kind of thing but it is amazing how little I've had to do and if I add up all that time we're talking probably more than 150 hours of my time that I haven't had to spend cleaning now would I have done it three times a week um no Mm. but you know this is the point about automation and smart home it saves you time and I get to spend that time doing something else Working, for example. Well, exactly. Did you have to mess around with tape and stuff to tell it where to go and all that with the Roomba? No, because I don't have that sort of complexity in the flat. I mean, there is stuff you can do with that, and it has got more sophisticated. I think you can set it in the app, for example, now. But actually, mine's intelligent enough that it will just run around, and it sort of amazes me the small spaces you can get onto. It will go under the sofa, for example, and under the bed, which I would never normally do. So it does a better job cleaning than I do. The only thing I notice I have to do is basically skirting boards because previously I'd have just run the kind of vacuum cleaner wand along something like that. But now every month or two, I just have to go and look and go, oh, that's picked up a lot of dust and it's amazing. Mm. I kind of got into habit doing it all in one go. So going back to like, it feels like the 1800s and I need to get my dust cloth out just to go and clean surfaces because the Roomba's doing pretty much everything else. Hopefully I'm not giving too much away about the cleanliness of my abode but there we go well i think we do have to point out dear listener whenever you hear him talking about i what he means is 
one staff. Well, exactly, exactly. So I mean, it's very good if, if you, you say to, so. Uh, to, yes, yeah. yes. Thank you, Ewan. Yeah, yeah. My Robo Rock has a similar thing, and I mean, I, I suppose I kind of normally I would go, oh, um, Roomba invented this type of robot. I'm going to go for Roomba because mm. you know they invented a load of these things, and Robo Rock, which is the Xiaomi brand, you know, just cloning. But actually, a lot of the reviews speak very highly of the Roborock stuff and some of the other brands that are well-reviewed internationally you can't get in the UK or Europe. But yeah, it's got a nice screen of sort of diagrams. I'm just holding it up to there for the camera so the team can see. And it sort of says, mm. oh, you know, you've used this much percentage of these things. Very nice. And I was really surprised how modular and maintainable they are. Which what was, was interesting good. is your one has got a LiDAR on it. Oh, brilliant. But Blanford, does yours have that? It doesn't have quite the same thing, but it does have mapping. So it will show me where it's been and show right. me where it's done extra cleaning on kind of what it refers to, I think, as dirty spots. Interesting, because that works. <laughs> Filthy bits of race. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm particularly interested what really swung it for me, because I've been constantly thinking about this for quite a while. Every time I walk by your know, Roomba or equivalent setup in one of these electronic stores, I'm thinking, oh, is, it, is, it, is it time? Is it time? Yes. Everybody right. should have one. And now that Ben has, and it's interesting that you selected this one, I was very, very surprised that you selected a Xiaomi one, given you know the obvious connectivity to our good friends in China. I was reticent, less of the Chinese thing, because I would be careful with my data privacy, but I don't mind a picture of my house being somewhere in China, and I don't mind them knowing that my floor is dirty. So, Do you mind them knowing where the dirty spots are in your house? Well, I mean, they could fine. use that information. You could probably guess. But that didn't really cause me too much pause for concern. But I was anxious that it wouldn't be well supported, that the app wouldn't be mm. reliable, that yeah. it would be a cheap clone. Mm. And so if you're thinking at all about buying one of these devices, get onto YouTube and find the Vacuum Wars channel that I've mentioned before. Yeah, The guy does a bunch of really scientific testing. He's got all these test rooms and things. It's really cool. And he demonstrates, for example... If you're mostly vacuuming on carpet, he recommends the Roombas because they have a patented thing that picks up much more dirt from carpets. If you've got hard floors, the Robo Rock and some of the other ones are more flexible. And also he helped me understand what type of robot I wanted because you've got three types. You've got random navigation, just goes ping, 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 and eventually it covers the floor by luck. And that's what all these vacuums started out being. Then you've got LiDAR based, which is a sort of a, Love it. a radar based, which mm. builds up a picture of the house. And then the very, very high end ones have cameras that point at the ceiling and they build up a picture of the house effectively by mapping the image above them and they point upwards. And then some will combine that with a forward facing camera as wow. well so that they can identify things. And actually, the LiDAR stuff is often said to be kind of a mid range kind of product with the visual cameras being the high-end stuff. But actually, in my house, because I just have large areas of white ceiling and this kind of stuff, the LiDAR stuff has worked absolutely brilliantly. I'm really pleased that I chose it. And it's interesting. It is, as you say, a mature technology, but there's also bits coming in. I remember last year did one that is effectively self-emptying, or rather it empties into a bigger container. I saw that one. That looked really cool. Yeah, The ones I've seen recently with the front-facing cameras that Ben refers to are also starting to use that for object recognition so it doesn't run over unfortunate things and you would have heard about Roombas running over dog excrement effectively and then smearing that everywhere they're now getting intelligent enough to recognize that Mm. and therefore not clean that bit and i think that's great because it kind of gets around some of the supposedly stupid robot decisions which are kind of inevitable when you're doing this kind of automation 
it's not infallible. We've got bar stools with slightly curved base that it does try to climb, but then it gets to a certain angle and backs off and does sensible yeah. things. I was also surprised with a little step between our kitchen and our hallway, about a centimetre and a half, and it climbs up that. I genuinely thought that would be a problem. It's got a bump sensor on the front that works really well. So as it comes up to a piece of furniture, it doesn't smash into things. It's not going to cause damage because it depresses and then obviously backs off. So, you know, really pleased. The virtual walls work really well. So because we leave the door open into rooms that we don't want cleaned, there might be Lego or toys or something. I've drawn virtual walls so that it won't do that. And then over time, as I've been messing about with it more, I've also zoned our house into lots of different zones in the map for different cleaning frequency. Wow. So when you have a dinner party, Ewan, and you're in the kitchen and you're cooking, you're cooking, and you look down and think, oh, no, I'm going to have to, you know, just there's a bit of food or there's mess on the floor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I need to go upstairs and quickly get ready because my guests will be here in five minutes. It is so cool to go, you know, so, hey, get Sonos, turn on the party music. Roborock, just sweep up that mess. I'm upstairs to, you know, yeah. splash on a bit of Oda clone and, you know. Kind of, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow. You're such a modern man. Suave and sophisticated, Rafe. But, I mean, I've actually bought a second robot vacuum because I bought one of the mop ones which is the iRobot Bravia Jet and that is sort of specializes on the floors and I got it actually mainly because it was smaller and was able to run around the kitchen the bathroom quickly it worked well if I'm honest I probably could have just stuck with the robot vacuum cleaner but it was about 150 quid and actually it's great for cleaning the bathroom so it's worth looking at what your objective is which mop one did you get the Bravia 240 uh, I'm gonna have to go and look at it because I'm not entirely sure now, while he's looking, Ben, does it pass the partner test? Yes, enthusiastic. Now, it's quite quiet. I would have said it was no noisier than running our dishwasher right. overnight. But there was one time where it clonked over a step or something and both woke us up, I think because it was an unusual noise. But actually, I just run it now around the time we leave the house in the morning and right. we all go out. It doesn't set the burger alarm off. So mm-hmm. there are good and bad ways to use it. But yeah. Very enthusiastically, because it's just that it's, like, it's what, exactly what Rafe said. It's the cleaning that you wouldn't be bothered to do, but makes the house feel measurably nicer because you're not looking around going, oh, I should, you know, <laughs> I'll have to go down the hall later or, you know, clean up that mess or whatever. And if you've kids of the ages that mm. you and I have kids, mm. there's always cereal or food yeah. or whatever underneath the table, regardless how you eat. And that's nice to just sort of not have to keep spot cleaning that. So, Rafe, what did you get, the Bravia? It was the 240, which is kind of the lower-end model. Oh, good or what? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> impressive. I have to put it down and start up. The other is Wi-Fi and smart speaker connected. But I just have mine on an automated schedule when I'm at work and when I come back, empty it, and there you go. Wow. Somebody asked me for some advice on these things during the week, and I think it's important to say that the mops are a bit less advanced than the vacuums because the vacuum will just look after itself hoover and go back to its base the mops need their pads or their Mm. wipers cleaning and the s5 max i talked about has a clip on mop bit at the back so it'll hoover first and then mop but actually the one rafe has you can add detergent it's a much more proper one my one is just a sort of a quick wipe thing but either way it requires more frequent user intervention because of course you need to keep those pads clean you don't want to go around your floor with dirty mopping pads spreading it around so until they can replace their own pads or something, I think that'll be tricky, but they get rave reviews. And if you're all in the Roomba or ecosystem, you can schedule it to hoover first and then to send the mop out later. So like I say, this stuff is getting really mm. mature, really pleased with it. We'll talk more about it um, after I've done a bit more playing. Briefly, Ben, where did you buy yours from? I bought one on AliExpress. First ever AliExpress purchase. And I was very nervous because I was giving 
some strange site. I'd never used my credit card details, but um, yeah, it worked well. It arrived. It came from where it said it came from and it worked well. So I was, yeah, very happy indeed. I think about 300 quid it was on Black Friday. Mm. Very, very good value for money based on the quality of life it has. Anyways, we should move on from a vacuum cleaner. Did you think, what was it, seven years ago now, when we sat on that beach in Cannes talking about the mobile phone thing, that we would be slumped over desks in three separate locations talking about vacuum cleaners all those years later? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just pause for a moment and remember what Cannes was like, shall we? And Just the beach remember the, the sun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Let's move on before I cry. Yuma Cloud, tell me about headphones. We've had a Long right, yes. conversation off mic about noise cancelling headphones, mm. another thing that everyone should own. Yes. I asked you guys a little while ago what ones you'd bought. I think you'd gone for the Sony. Just before Christmas, I thought, right, it's time to get some new ones. I've got my B&O H8, I think they are, here, and I've had them for a few years. I thought it was time to treat myself to a, a new pair. I went on to Wirecutter, as per your suggestion. I had a look in their current recommendation was the new noise cancelling 700 series from Bose. and. That's my first ever Bose purchase. It's been interesting entering into their ecosystem. I downloaded the Bose app, which you used to set up the thing. It's fantastic. Really, really impressive. I used it on the plane a couple of times, and it's just been phenomenally good. And I've actually been using it around the house and so on. It, really, really nice. But I, I'm sure the Sony's... Uh, both of you have the Sony runs, right? I have the Sony ones, which Rafe and I bought together when we yes. were coming to visit you in Copenhagen. I remember, yes. Rafe, do you have any noise-cancelling headphones at the moment? I do. I still have the Sony's that I use, but I also have the Bose Quiet Comfort 20, which are the kind of in-ear ones, which right. are smaller to carry around with you. And those are the ones I tend to use day to day, where I like having the over-the-ear ones for flights. Because Rafe's ears are smaller. Yeah, thanks, Ben. <laughs> I mean, not unique insight by us, but 361 Podcast official view is that there's only two type of big over-ear noise-cancelling headphones worth having. That's the Sony XM1000... Something... Mm. Gosh, model numbers really are Sony's strong point. Yeah. 1000XM3. Yeah, which everyone recommends, and the Bose 700s. Yeah. And I have to say, at the moment, I'm still recommending the Sony's. Having tried the Sony's and now owning the Sony's and only really seeing the Bose on sale, I'm still recommending the Sony's because I think they both do an excellent job, yeah. but the Sony's yeah. are a few quid cheaper. But I think the visuals of the Bose, they look nicer. And I know you and, you know, you need. Uh, good headphones to go with your executive haircut. Well, exactly. exactly. This is a serious consideration. Priorities, mm. yeah. Although, actually, you should probably just put those in the cupboard for a few months because now you're unemployed. I don't want you sullying expensive headphones you know, with your unemployed hair. Don't think that, you know, the fact that I haven't shaved for a few days, it's because I've been skiing, right? Right. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. Okay. That got middle class and uncomfortable quickly, so let's move on. Rafe Blanford. Noise cancelling headphones, what are we considering when we're purchasing them, apart from the price, obviously, because they can get pricey for those two models we've recommended? It's really the style that you're going to be comfortable with over the ear or, you know, the portability from the in-ear ones. And of course, there are now a lot more going into the kind of what I'd call the earbud space, whether that's the AirPods or the equivalent from Google and others. We're talking here or have been talking about the ones that do the most kind of noise cancellation. But there are other features worth talking about, which is like the pass-through audio so that you can have them on and if you tap them appropriately or press the button, you can then hear kind of conversation pass through. And I would say that this is an area that's pretty mature with technology, but there's a lot more coming because actually in terms of assisted audio, you will start to see that in terms of being able to change the music profile or enhance conversation and things like that. 
And so at the moment, though, for me, it's just about the performance of the noise cancellation. And it's like when you're on public transport on a plane, mm. you just want to cut out that background sound. And I think that's where our recommendations come from. There are the cheaper versions and they work fine, but there's definitely a bit of a, you get what you pay for here. The other consideration I, I'd suggest as well is one of the nice things about the Sonys is their USB-C. Absolutely. If you, like me, live in Macland, I'm carrying around a USB-C charger to charge my iPad and to charge my laptop. It's really nice to use the same adapter when you're traveling with those because those larger on-ear ones. And um, I'd say if you want noise cancelling for traveling, like you said there, the on-ear ones are much more comfortable. You know, you can wear them for hours. It's handy to be able to charge them up from one charger because I think the Bose ones are still on micro USB, Ewan? Uh, no, no, they're USB-C. They're 700s anyway. Yeah. Okay, the USB-C. Certainly the previous gen Bose ones were all on micro USB, I think, which was an annoyance for relatively high-end products. Mm. And then I'd say the other thing is they've got, certainly for the larger models, there's a variety of sort of sound-enhancing apps and things that you can run on your mobile device to tailor sound profiles for music or speech or those kinds of things which are great. But I have to say for expensive headphones, you and I actually slap mine on in the office more regularly than not. No music playing just to take any background noise out if you work in an open plan environment. And I reckon having come back from work from Christmas, stuck the AirPods in for commuting, I'm really missing the noise cancelling. So I, I, you know, kind of thinking maybe AirPods Pro or, you know, the next purchase for in-ear headphones would definitely need to have noise cancelling in. I've been very impressed with AirPods Pro. They're really, really good, especially in the bar, in the working environment. I can remember that time when I used to want to block out. Although I'm going to slightly disagree with Rafe in as much as the pass-through mode is technically brilliant, like it works perfectly, but because we're all British, you feel incredibly rude leaving your headphones on when you're talking to somebody in the airplane or Mm. at the till. So of course you have to take your headphones off, even though you know well that they could hear you, whatever. So yeah, technically it works, but yeah. Social convention and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you also have to say sorry. Yes. Quite a lot. Yeah. Multiple times. British. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Not as yeah. bad as the Canadians, but nearly. <laughs> sorry, Canada. So noise cancelling headphones, yes, absolutely. And I think now for me, they are, again, one of these products that I kind of had always thought I would get and then didn't. And now I've got them. I sort of regret not spending the extra mm. when I bought headphones mm. in the past. Because I have plenty of on-ear headphones for, you know, long, comfortable listening on planes and that kind of stuff. But the magic of putting them on and just listening to noise you didn't even know was in the room vanish yeah. is amazing. And there's a massive fatigue on airplanes from that constant droning, yeah. which is either this podcast or the engines. So it's <laughs> difficult to tell. Okay, so we should move on. But uh, yes, if you've several hundred quid burning a hole in your pocket. Three, four, nine in the UK. The Bose, I got mine from very.co.uk. Okay. Well, I've just bought a set of the Sonys for a family member mm. for birthday, so I'm not going to disclose how much they cost because I know they're listening, but a smidge less than that, but both good value. Shop around, kids. Okay, we should move on. Mm. Rafe Blanford, say something briefly about your forthcoming CES preview. Mm. Not preview, because you've been, sorry. Yes, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I was at the Consumer Electronics Show at the beginning of January, and we thought we'd do a future episode and rather than kind of focus on news and announcements, which have been covered very well by lots of other people, try and identify some of the big themes out of the show. So we will be basing a future episode around that, whether that's looking at the way your personal nutrition seems to be becoming a bit more of a thing, smart home going into the bathroom, kind of assisted sensors and bits and pieces like that. We'll also try and pick up on some of the more amusing CES products where you sit 
how on earth did that get funding? And then you see it for the second time and go, how on earth did that get Series B funding? <laughs> and so on. Is this the connected potato? <laughs> well, that was, I think, a bit of performance arc because it was difficult to believe it wouldn't be taken seriously. But I was actually thinking of the $900 cat smart wheel, which is a hamster wheel, but for cats. Now, that is a great idea. I'm only kidding. I still like the connected potato because it get me to do the mash networking joke. Yeah, oh, dear. That was very good, Ben. Yeah, excellent. I also want to know what your experience was like in Vegas anyway, as usual. Okay, well, we can certainly cover that as well. Right, rampant gambling habit. Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing that because I watched some of the coverage and sort of oscillated between excited about some of that smart home stuff and horrified, as you say. I still can't fathom why anybody would need smart speakers in their shower, but maybe I've been doing it wrong all these years. Okay, okay, let's move on. Yuma Cloud, what is that plastic lump just sat behind you? We're not going to do a segment on this, but I feel the need to call you out. Oh, come on. Look, it's a Dell all-in-one. Wait, you bought a desktop? Yeah, yeah. Look, I moved back to the UK. All the other stuff is in Denmark at the minute, and I needed a machine. And I just didn't feel like spending 3000 4000 on an iMac. It's a temporary one, basically. I went to Wirecutter. It is one of their recommended ones. It's a little plasticky. A little plasticky. <laughs> <laughs> there is a whole lot of bloatware on it. I've just gone through the McAfee stuff. It's just popped up going, oh, your machine is under, you know, yeah. put your credit card in right now, basically is the advert that's popped up. I've just ripped that out. It's just, I thought the children should experience a Windows ecosystem. Do you not like your children? <laughs> well, honestly, I think it's a perfectly legitimate consumer choice given the circumstances, but what have you done with the real Ewan? Yeah, absolutely. No, come on, come on. Do you know what? I actually looked at these iMacs and thought, I'm not actually that impressed by them. So you bought a Dell because you weren't impressed by a Mac? No, I think maybe I'm tired of Mac. Wow. Maybe this is a bigger episode, actually. I'm tired of that. I just thought, do I really want to spend £3,000? This was 1000 and it's perfectly adequate. Adequate. There we go. That's that's the Dell strap line. (laughs) Buy our product. It's adequate. Well, I'm quite pleased with it. The keyboard is very plasticky. The mouse is plasticky. I mean, yes, yes. Okay, hold on a minute. It is absolutely plasticky. It's plastic city. Look at this. Oh, my God. You can't argue for the value for money. And that, you know, lest we forget, is how a lot of people experience their desktop or their laptop computing through Windows. It's still by far the biggest market share. Yeah, it's got better. I just think it's interesting that actually in a world of kind of smartphones and smart speakers and everything else, actually it doesn't become your dominant digital device because I suspect even for your family, it's still about kind of iPads and smart TV and phones. It is. That's their first, yeah. Whereas the computer and the Dell is specifically for doing probably some productivity Mm. and some very specific tasks and almost it's become less important. So although we're mocking you gently here, which I don't think is very nice of us because Actually, I still use a Windows computer a lot of the time. Right, well, the podcast is now cancelled. <laughs> right, okay, okay, shocking, I know. I mean, come on, you're talking to the person who used to use Windows Phone, so what do you expect? This is true. Yeah, but you were a secret iPhone user all through those Symbian years, I know. Uh-huh, yeah. Thanks for blowing my cover, Ben. But my point, actually, is that almost the importance of the computer is kind of the home thing that's essentially your digital life just isn't there anymore. I mean, yes. for a lot of people, it's yeah. their phone or an iPad. I guess I'm horrified for two reasons. One is that you tend to be very picky about the non-functional aspects. So when you buy products, it's got to look really nice. It's got to work really well. Oh. Matches hair. It's got to function well, but it's got to be 
of a high build quality as well. And I'm not getting that sense off Dell stuff. I mean, at work, we have work provided Dell laptops mm. in some circumstances, and they're actually not bad. They're the ones everyone recommends. They're really slim. They're quite good. They're incredibly well specced. And then they come with a power brick that you could brain a donkey with. You know, I mean, like you go, oh, look at my new slim Dell. Oh, by the way, and here's the wheelbarrow I carry the power adapter in. And, you know, it's just that kind of, you were nearly there. Like you nearly made a good product. And then you went, oh, yeah, we're all done now. I've got to go home 5 p.m. Just slap a honking great, you know, standard charger in the box and we'll go home. And by the way, ship it wrapped in plastic in a brown box. Slap 300 pages of manuals in there and they'll be fine. I'm surprised because you went, if you'd rung and said, God, I need something for the children, I would have said, Mac Mini. Nice screen, job done. No, that's actually what we have in demo. We used to have an iMac. I just thought, oh, it's a Mac Mini, and then a nice quality screen. That's been fun. I just didn't want to spend. I didn't feel Apple deserved it. To be fair, when I briefly flirted with Windows back end of last year, I was very impressed with Microsoft's hardware. I had the Surface Book and was very pleased with that. I just couldn't mm. go on with the OS, but mm. we'll come yes. back to that another time. But wow, standards are slipping in the McLeod household. No, no, we're just experiencing different types of technology, which is important. (laughs) Yes, bad ones. Okay, (laughs) let's move on. So a really quick segment then, final one, probably something we'll come back to, although I'm afraid this is a bit me-centric at the moment. We're getting an EV charger put in at home with an electric vehicle charger. Mm. The Smith household has its first plug-in hybrid, and that's ace, and we might talk about that a bit. But actually, I've been really fascinated with the process of putting in a charger, and it's something that kind of had completely not thought about when we got the vehicle. And I bet a lot of people don't really think about when they get their first electric vehicles as well. And there's been a bunch of stuff that I've had to learn along the way. And so I thought that would be interesting. You can charge it in Tesco in Hook. It's nearby. Oh, I can. Yeah. There you go, in case you're wondering. Yeah. We can drive over and charge it there. There's a bunch of public charging places which have been really interesting and learning about the mess that is public charging infrastructure, you know, some of it free, some of it chargeable. You've got to have an account and you've got to have the app. Mm. It's like the same faff with certainly across the UK. Lots of places started to charge for parking through an app rather than by putting money into a machine, you know, a few years back. But every car park yes. had a different provider. So you had a million things. But it's been fascinating. Mm. And mm. Rafe, I guess the bit that surprised me was how smart these devices tend to be now. Because I really thought, you know, take a wire out of the wall, plug it into the car job done. But actually in that supply unit, there is a ton of connectivity. And, you know, I got the survey questions back from the company that's going to fit it, asking me, you know, what the Wi-Fi coverage was like so it could stay connected to the internet. Wow. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that ability to kind of do charging, you know, even just the simple stuff on certain times of day can link in with the tariff from your energy provider and they will give you a better tariff. And it's kind of trying to normalise usage of the electricity supply network. So charge at night or, you know, it's the old joke about UK electricity providers used to have to work out when to peak supply because the kettles were being put on after the end of East Enders. And to this day, actually, ad breaks in the UK are still sequenced across the main terrestrial channel. So they don't happen simultaneously for that exact reason. (laughs) But part about having the smart grid is being able to communicate with various appliances or EV charges and saying, actually, don't draw it right now because it will be able to manage the grid. Because if you need three hours of charging, do you really care when that happens? That can be any time between 10 o'clock at night and six in the morning, Mm, and it mm. doesn't have to be continuous. And that's what that enables you to do. And in a slightly more mundane level, if you have a low emissions vehicle that needs a charger, the UK government runs an OLEV scheme, 
which gives a grant to part fund the installation of chargers to encourage these vehicles. And they now won't give that grant if you don't get a smart charger because they recognise that putting infrastructure in that doesn't allow you to control the time of charge and more importantly doesn't link back to infrastructure, Mm. which could then, as Rafe says, be linked up to tariffs and demand and potentially even in the future systems whereby you use your car as a battery on the driveway and actually the energy flows back out Mm. of the car at peak times rather than off the grid. You could use it like a storage solution. Mm. Yeah. And it's easy to be sceptical about that sort of thing. But if you've come home from work and it knows enough about your usage pattern to know that's what you do, having it use the car as a battery to you know, use the remaining capacity for that kind of evening peak makes absolute sense because then you yeah, can yeah. charge it up overnight. And if that takes £20 off your electricity bill, like why wouldn't you? It's been fascinating as well because we keep saying, oh, this is a electric vehicle charger. And of course, all the pedants and myself now amongst them We'll be saying, no, it's an electric vehicle supply because I hadn't realised that the charger is in the vehicle and all this cleverness, the wire that comes out of the wall and that kind of stuff is just the supply. It's just the electronics yeah. that regulate the supply. So much like when you plug your smartphone in, the smartphone knows that the battery is getting mm, full up mm. and regulates the rate of charging and with the new Apple devices even doesn't top up all the way until the last minute when it's learnt your schedule. The charger is on the car, and therefore you can have different speeds of charging based on what you bought or what the model of the car has. And then, of course, I hadn't even thought about it, but this supply, this is quite a significant supply. It's the same kind of current drawer as you put sort of your kitchen appliances on, like a washing machine or something like that. There's loads of interesting issues around grounding it. So I thought, pay a man, come along, he'll screw a plastic box to the wall, mm. there'll be a wire that comes out of it and that'll be fine. Mm. But no, they want a survey to find out where they're going to install a grounding rod. So actually, you know, in modern houses, you know, achieving a ground connection to be safe for that amount of current is interesting. So I've actually, in the Ewan McLeod model of buying things, I've gone down the list going, no, no, no. Oh, look, I need to buy the most expensive one. And I think I might still come to regret this, but we've actually specifically ordered a model that doesn't need all of that ground infrastructure because it's got lots of special breakers and controls inside the unit that means it doesn't need that. But it's been a voyage of discovery. So I'm going through the installation process now. Yesterday, I had to take pictures of my electricity meter to check whether or not the fuse on the edge of our house was big enough. I had to show them pictures of my fuse box inside my house and they started to make threatening sounds about drilling holes in wall and running wire around all this kind of stuff. But um, It's exciting. There's also an interesting thing there. It's kind of almost a throwaway thing. You've just mentioned that you were taking photographs and attaching that to things. Mm. That kind of ubiquity of just being able to use the camera as kind of an input mechanism to provide information to them is, you know, that's just become totally commoditized and totally normal. You place the order, you pay for the unit, then they send a like a pre-survey survey. And the survey is, please upload 10 pictures. We want a picture of this, a picture of that, blah, 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 blah. And that means that they'll be able to assess what type of installation yeah. you'll need just remotely. But it's going to be fantastic. And that would have been multiple engineers visiting. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And also because of the layout of our house and that sort of stuff, we're probably going to need some additional infrastructure to make it all work because we don't have any space on our fuse board and all that kind of stuff. And they can see that and plan all that in. But I had sort of said at the outset, oh, why, why do we need a special charger? You know, I'm just going to plug it into a, we've got a three pin socket outside the house, a standard socket outside the house, which we use for, garden appliances i just plug it in there and i plug the car in this evening and even for a very 
small battery, it's like seven hours charging. I said, like, okay, maybe that's why we need the special charger. What would it be then? What's the difference if you have the special charger? So it will be seven kilo. Oh, I'm going to get the units wrong now and embarrass myself. What's the time difference though? So seven hours by a normal plug. Oh, no, sorry. I'm charging on a sort of a 13 amp plug, which I think charges at six amps. So essentially our particular vehicle, which has a smaller battery because it's just assistive to a petrol engine, that takes about six hours to charge to full and it will take about two hours plugged into a proper supply. Oh, interesting. Because that will be a seven kilovolt, no, kilowatt yeah. charger. Right. Kilowatt, I think, inside the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So it's been fascinating, but essentially I think electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids are going to be brilliant. And I'm really excited. I'm really enjoying driving around solely on electric, going, oh, this is free driving. You know, <laughs> this is brilliant. Free driving and seeing the fuel consumption. It just says 100, 100 miles to the gallon, you know, which really means infinity because <laughs> it's just on electric. But I've never had to think about where am I going to do some electrical work in my house when I bought a new car? You know, mm, like mm. there's that change. And once we've got that charger in there, all future cars will just work and it will be great. But it's really interesting seeing that sort of point of transition where, like no one's house has this stuff built in by default. Mm. I bet in the future now, when you go onto the real estate agent's websites, these things will start being yeah. listed as features. That's a valuable addition, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. And Rafe, like for people like yourself living in apartments or estates way out in the country, you know, oh. the installation issue is going to be even more interesting because if you did buy an EV in London, you'd have to rely presumably on some residence association or something, you know, kind of agreeing to install them in the communal parking spaces. Mm. Absolutely. And that's kind of the thing that's blocking a little bit, that public infrastructure and how much you need. But there are people who buy this and depend entirely on that. And it's partly why Tesla put so much energy into its supercharger Mm. network, for example. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And of course, the nice thank you, Tesla. Some of those Tesla chargers can be used by non-Tesla owners, which is great. So Mm. final recommendation, if you're even thinking about getting an EV, Zap Map. Get the app. It's exactly what you'd think it was, which is how to find chargers and people can report if they work and when they don't work and that kind of stuff. But it's been invaluable because it's been really interesting to learn about what kind of electrical suppliers are in places I might be driving to. And that in itself was interesting to see, am I going to have to install one at home or could we just rely on public chargers? Mm. And if you live in London, it might be doable public chargers, but where we are, not yeah. even close. Yeah, That's just my latest excitement. Mm. Okay, final email, Mike Robbins wrote in over Christmas to ask me what I thought about Ubiquiti starting to send data back to China. I think it is servers in China. I think it was certainly their home setup. That was a big scandal that came up over Christmas where my preferred network provider was sending usage data. That new feature was turned on in the latest firmware, but not really well announced. Although that's been put to bed and is off now by default in the latest firmware. I think it's a really interesting question, Mike. We'll pick that up in a future episode when I've um, had Rafe do the research. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right gentlemen always a pleasure Indeed. absolutely thank you Ben mm-hmm. thank you Lots to the love. audience we will be back in a fortnight if you'd uh, like to get in touch with us you can contact us at 361podcast oh. or we're 361podcast.com where you can email us or get in contact either publicly or in private we're also on Twitter at 361podcast we don't do the other social medias although if you find us on Instagram where every so often I post an amusing picture of Rafe Blanford basically but it's exactly. very sparing yeah. and very selectively chosen can we also just quickly say Thank you to those people that did a review. Oh, yes. Good shout. Thank you for everyone who did reviews over the Christmas period. We had a couple of iTunes reviews, which was always lovely. Love you long time. Yeah. I've discovered over Christmas that the secret apparently is that 
iTunes reviews are compiled on a Friday. So if you get lots of reviews on a Friday, they're counted and that bumps you up the charts. So I'm not saying you should all go off and leave a five-star review on Friday, but you should definitely, definitely do that. And I haven't decided on the prize yet, but the most amusing podcast review, preferably giving us five stars, but reviewing something else will win a prize. A prize that I've yet to decide, but a prize. (laughs) A cap. A 361 cap. A 361 cap. Actually, I've got a bunch of 361 stickers. We need to uh, dole those out to the listeners. So listen out for that, particularly for Patreon subscribers. Yes. Right, gentlemen, we should end it there. Thank you very much for your time. We will be back in a fortnight. See you soon. Bye-bye. Do you ever listen to In Our Time, BBC Radio 4? With Melvin Bragg? Yeah. I listen to that a lot. All right. And then at the end, they finish the actual recording, and then a lady goes, and here's a little bit more. And it's just basically, they keep talking for about five, ten minutes, and then it finishes by someone going, coming in and saying, what kind of coffee would you like? I think leave five or ten seconds, and then just do a nice back end, you know. Basically, it's a cookie. Wouldn't that be good? Brilliant. I'm not sure our post-roll content is that great, so no. Well, um, did I tell you that I've got a life jacket made of quiche? Oh God, here we go. Quiche something, quiche Lorraine. It's extremely flamboyant. I knew that was coming. I just knew it. (laughs) (sighs) My wife says I've got to stop pretending to be a bread roll. Oh God, that got wrong. My wife says I've got to stop pretending. Oh, the pain. My wife says I've got to stop pretending to be butter. But I'm on a roll now. (laughs) Rubbish. (laughs) Rubbish. (laughs) Ray Flanford, does that work? Poor Mark. (laughs) 